0: uh, Before I shift gears and talk about China tonight, let me tell you, um, this is the first opportunity since I spoke with you Sunday to uh, speak to any kind of group of any size to thank you for your kind words of encouragement and your expressions of of grace to us. of course, we've had lots of emails and phone calls. And then uh, then tonight, your comments to me are very encouraging. Thank you for your love. And, and, guys, I have no doubt that the people of grace are going to do what we've asked them to do, to, you to do. And that is to pray for us, as Jim has uh, so kindly prayed tonight. That's what we need. We ask the Lord to give us some clear direction in the coming weeks as to what he would have us to do. And um, it is a... It is a, an extreme joy to be a part of this kind of covenant family. Uh, where else, I don't know, of, of a place you could do what we have done. Uh, that is, what Carl and I have done is to pour ourselves out how, where we are in our lives and what we're, we're asking God to do. And then to be able to take that to our church family and have the whole body pray for us. It's uh, it's not normally done the way that we've done this, and you guys have been so gracious, and we we love you for it and thank you for it. Well, Gus, uh, Jimmy asked me right after I got back in China if I'd take this opportunity to share with you my experiences over there. Uh, I This is my second time to actually utilize PowerPoint, so I'm a little bit nervous about it. I did it on a Sunday morning in my 9.30 Sunday school class, and that morning... Three times before class started, my little laptop locked up on me, and I had to completely reboot. So uh, we said a little prayer that morning, got the demon out of it. So it hasn't given me any trouble this afternoon, so I'm, I'm praying it'll, it'll, it'll work with us tonight. But let me just tell you, as uh, take a few minutes to introduce to you why I went to China in case you don't know but Grace Evan has supported a ministry for seven or eight years now called SALT which stands for Strategic Asian Leadership Training uh, our the main person that we support is Steve Torgerson which, who has been visited us on several occasions Steve has been kind enough to come two, maybe three times to our missions conferences in October. He has spoken in my Sunday school class, I think, at least twice. And he is a fine brother who is the the head of this organization. Well, let me tell you what SALT does. Uh, t- and to understand fully what this organ. By the way, um, Grace Yvonne, this is a... We support SALT in a significant way um, each month. Now we have picked up two other staff members of SALT we've added a, as support in recent months and I'll introduce you to those I've got some pictures of some of those people uh, in, in, into the program but again here, here's what SALT does imagine with me has anybody in here ever been to China traveled through China uh, I know Ron has he's probably gotten been, made many trips over there and of course Fred is, is I think still in here tonight and Fred is from Hong Kong but uh, it's a huge country, um, heavily populated. And imagine imagine spread across inland China, um, hundreds and hundreds of house churches scattered in inland China, in these various cities and out in the countryside. And then think about the normal, traditional way that we train pastors in America. Tip it, and still, there is now, we're, in this country, we're going through a transition of moving away from traditional theological training, that is where we, we have guys leave their cities or their homes, travel to another state, another part of the country, and settle for three years and study theology, and then hopefully they go back to other parts of the country and, and minister. That's the traditional way seminary or theological training is done. That's, it just doesn't work that well in a, in a place like Asia. There are seminaries scattered in the in the Asian realm, But um, for the most part, it's not practical to take these house pastors, many of them are bivocational, to take them out of their, their setting in inland China and ask them to travel to even another country in the Asian realm and to study theology. And so SALT, under the leadership of Steve, saw this need and caught the vision of taking the training to the pastors inland. And so this is basically what SALT is about. They have a, an entire staff there that's based now in Hong Kong. They're shifting their headquarters to Hong Kong. And what they do there in, in their office in Hong Kong is write and edit um, and translate into Mandarin the uh, theological... Uh, syllabuses, syllabi that, they, and that they, they then take inland to China to these various parts of the country and train these house pastors and what they will do is they'll take a team of three or four of their staff members and they'll travel to uh, Shanghai for example and then they'll have uh, house pastors by, most of them travel by train or bus and they'll come to Shanghai and they'll spend uh, four or five days there studying with, with some of the SALT staff and they train these house pastors that way. And lots of this material, then those house pastors can take take back into their churches and use that material to teach and edify their, their churches there. So that's basically what SALT is doing. Um, another thing to, you have to keep in mind when you think of the house churches in China, and I'm going to talk more about the three kinds of churches that we experienced while we traveled in China, but one of the most... Um, Common types of churches is, of course, the house church. And if you go into a a city like Beijing or Wenzhou or Shanghai, you may have one pastor that's trying to nurture 20 different house churches in that city. And he's trying to minister to those 20 different groups. They're meeting in homes of, you know, 25, 30 people. Sometimes as many as 150 people are cramming into these houses and this pastor is trying to move around and minister to these different groups. So he has lots of responsibility, very busy men who, um, who really are hungry to grow in the Lord and to, to get new materials to their people. And so salt feeds, um, that's the focus of this ministry. Now, this is I chose this as my first picture because... This this was just an extraordinary experience for me. And I want to explain to you why and who these people are. Of course, you can tell we're, we're in an airplane. This is the, one of the first pictures I took on my trip. I'm, we're actually flying over, leaving from Chicago, flying to, to Hong Kong. And uh, let me let me explain this picture to you this way. Before I left for China, I was um, told I ought to read David Eichmann's new book, Jesus in Beijing. If you, if you really want to... Get some insight as to what's going on in China. This is a great resource. In fact, I saw Monday that we have a, another copy of it in the bookstore. But this book was written by David Eichmann, who was the former Beijing bureau chief for Time magazine. He spent many years in, in China and he knows China. And here's his argument in this book. You know, we understand, I think for the most part, how China is impacting the world economically. We have some people, businessmen in our church, who depend upon resources like steel. And they have told me in in months past how their business has been impacted by the the demands that China has for our resources. And um, I saw this firsthand. It is unbelievable, guys. I, we flew into several cities, and as, and as you fly into these cities and look around the city, in, in, in the 360 degrees, everywhere you look, there were skyscrapers being built. It was just unbelievable. I, I, I heard about it, but I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not talking about six, seven-story buildings. We're talking about 30, 40-story buildings. As far as you can see in some of these cities, Concrete and steel, and I thought the thought I have was there's not enough steel or concrete in all the world to to supply the demands that China has, and so Eichmann, with that understand our understanding of how China is impacting the world economically, here's his argument. Eichmann says that within the next 25 years, China will be the largest Christian nation in the world. They are going to impact the world for Christianity. We're focusing on what they're going to do economically. He says we're going to feel the the impact as far as religion goes. And uh, there are they estimate now that there are some as many as 55 million Christians in China. So I'm leaving the United States with all that on my mind, the things that I've read about China, and and I'm flying over there, and I'm seated in the middle of this huge airplane, toward the back, you know, with the cattle and everything in the back, the cheap seats and and uh, the guy next to me is he 's Asian and he can 't speak any english and I like to chat and talk as you probably know and and so you know we 've got a sixteen hour flight, and the the movie thing wasn 't working very well and so i 'm just nervous and anxious and getting up and walking around and and uh, I noticed that there are these Chinese people in a large section behind me, and I could tell they were speaking some english and this lady that you see on the, the right of your screen, was she seemed to be like the leader of this group of 10 or 12 people. Well, in the back of the plane, if you've ever flown on these large planes on a long trip like that, in the back there's this little counter and lots of people stand back there and read the papers. and stuff. Well, I was back there uh, walking around and, and I caught her back there in the back and I said, Ma'am, I, I, can, I know you speak English and I just, you just seem like a delightful lady and thought we might chat for a little bit. Well, lo and behold, this lady and she is a Christian. She's from she's Chinese, but she lives in Richmond, Virginia, and this group that's with her are all from the uh, the Chinese Baptist Church of Richmond, Virginia, and they're on their way back to their homeland to do mission work. (laughs) I thought, it is true that the Lord has really been working, and and China must be full of Christians. Here I am. And so we just had a blast flying over there, visiting with each other. The lady in the middle is on staff at the church. The guy there is their worship leader in the church, and that's another shot. Of course, the Americans are a little bit taller, but uh, (laughs) we just had a blast talking on the way over. Uh, Again... Uh, I love the Chinese children. This is uh, I, these. This was just impromptu. And I saw these little kids sitting on some steps, and I jumped in there and, and uh, got a picture made with them. But I, I just love the Chinese children. They're just beautiful kids, and. Just my emphasis here is is, uh, uh, the great opportunity to evangelize in China. This is a. We went out one day. By the way, the guy beside me is Steve Torgerson, who had salt. He traveled. He was the host of this trip and traveled with us. There's a little guy in the the middle there that uh, we kind of bonded to that day. We were out in the countryside one day and we were taking Bibles and we had some toys with us and we were getting a feel of what uh, country life and the village life was like. And. Uh, these little children began to gather around us when they saw that we had toys and we were ministering to them that day. Uh, Steve, by the way, can speak Mandarin very well and he would do interpreting for us. And I discovered that the little guy standing beside me, the the shortest one in the group was the ringleader of the group. It was kind of fun to watch him, but everybody followed him and listened and obeyed him. But let me talk a little bit about the history and culture of China. Um, We were very... Fortunate to have this happen. The first We got to Hong Kong. That was the place where we all met. I wasn't alone with Steve, but we met another... We met some other pastors from the United States. And uh, we rendezvoused in Hong Kong on... um, So I got there on a a Sunday night. And then that next day, Monday, we actually left Hong Kong and flew north to Beijing, the capital of China. And um, we stayed in Beijing for like three days and did some work there. And it was while we were in Beijing that we had somebody that was friends of one of the staff members that was with SALT was um, uh, acquaintance with the um, the dean of the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at, at Now, which is Beijing University. And that's the gentleman that I'm standing beside. He is retired now. He's like 82 years old. He's retired. He's head of this department, was head of the department there at Beijing University for many years. And so we had the privilege to go there to the university that morning. And for about two hours, he lectured us. Now, he couldn't speak English, but an interpreter was there. And he lectured us on some history and culture of China, specifically that had to do with the city of of Beijing uh, and some of the things there that we were about to see, I took this picture because my daughter uh, that was her major philosophy was her major, and I thought she might like to have a, a picture of this. but I learned a lot from this great man i 've forgotten his name, but he was a very kind man just just the, the the Chinese people are so gracious and and he to to come out of his uh, home and come there that day and teach us some things about the history of china and this great city was was well worth it. This is one of the things we saw after we visited with him. Looking across this waterway, what you're seeing in the in the heart of Beijing, there are acres that were set aside decades, centuries ago, where the emperor built what is called the Forbidden City, the place, the palaces of the emperor. And then on the... Adjacent to that, um, or the other end of that, was what's called the Temple of Heaven, where the emperors worshipped the heavens. And so we toured that, that day, and you're looking across at this facility. This is walking into the entryway to the Forbidden City. It's called the Forbidden City because the, uh, the common people were not allowed to go there. You had to be invited to the emperor's facilities. And if you were heads of state or government officials, you were allowed to travel there. And the emperor would meet you in these great halls. And think of this. This is one stairwell, staircase going up into this one hall. This is not the emperor's residence, but it's a hall where the emperor would meet certain people. And there were just this one right after the other with these great halls and we just walked from one to the next looking at the places where the emperor would meet various people and this is a throne that he would sit on and meet dignitaries that was the forbidden city and then uh, next to that was the temple of heaven that we visited and I don't have time to go into the details of, of the intricacies and what each of these tiers meant, meant but this professor told us all the details of uh, of what each part of the temple of heaven meant to the people. But here again, this is where the emperor and the people would go, and they would worship the heavens. When I stood beneath this temple, I thought of that passage in Genesis 11 where it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter where you travel in the world, what, whatever culture you go to, Uh, You'll always see this. People will worship. Uh, We were created to worship. Mankind's going to worship something. And uh, it's true in China. There's a rich uh, culture and heritage there of worship. We saw some of that. Uh, That afternoon, I'm sorry that the, the camera focused upon me, but... What I was hoping was we could focus upon the picture of Mao back there on the wall behind me. But that afternoon, we toured the great Tiananmen Square. That was one of the highlights for me of the trip to uh, that city because, uh, you know, we've read so much and even in our lifetime have seen history take place in Tiananmen Square. Of course, you remember in the late 80s. Remember the tanks rolling down the streets and the, the university student. Remember, remember the student lying down in front of the tank when we walked on that street? Uh, Tiananmen Square, by the way, as I understand it, is the largest public gathering place, official public gathering place of any place in the world. It's a huge place. And the center of the square is where uh, the great mouse tomb is. He's he's entombed there and you can actually visit that. Across the street is is the great hall of the people. It was a fascinating thing that afternoon to see that. We watched the changing of the guard late that afternoon and the lowering of the the great Chinese flag. You see the soldiers out there. I was was always fascinated with the military there in China, but we got to see that lowering of the flag. Now, this is the the great wall of China that we visited. Um, Maybe some of you have visited the great wall of China before it's, a, it's just extraordinary place, a lot of history, history there. Don't have time to go into it, but I, I wanted to take this shot. And then later, I'm going to show you uh, a shot of one of the house pastors that joined us. He got on a bus, and we had to be very careful because these house pastors, you know, are kind of underground pastors. And he joined us, he got on our little bus and rode with us out to the north part of the city. And there at the Great Wall, we sat down and had lunch, uh, kind of a a sack lunch, and interviewed this this house, Joshua, with this house pastor who works in the city of, of Beijing, and, and his fascinating stories. I'll show you his picture in just a few minutes. There's tourists going up the Great Wall. There's another shot. And by the way, uh, you're going to see me in a lot of Eddie Bauer shirts. <laughs> There's a reason behind that. There was like a big sale before I left, and you know, like $6 a shirt. And uh, <laughs> so I bought a few of those shirts to wear, because they told me it's going to be warm over there. And then we never we stayed behind schedule so much that we never got to the hotel in time to change clothes before we went to church. So I ended up in these Eddie Bauer shirts at church. So I did have a nicer shirts to wear, but I ended up in these things all the time. Uh, I'm still on history and culture. One of the things that Steve wanted us to get exposed to was the various kinds of foods in China. And uh, the Chinese eat everything. <laughs> and... Uh, so one of the things we went to one night is to have Peking duck. Have anybody ever had Peking duck? Uh, it's, it's, it's a very famous food there. And we're walking into this restaurant. And these were the two hostesses, very beautiful young ladies. And I got in between them. I got my picture made. And then we, uh, there's a picture of the ducks. Uh, they cook the whole duck. I mean, they bring the duck out on the table. And you got the heads and the brains and everything there. You know, I ate duck growing up a little bit because we did duck hunting. But I never did like duck. Uh, just not It's not one of my favorite meats, but um, nonetheless, um, there were quite a few meals that I didn't really participate in very much. <laughs> I'm a very bland eater, and um, I had quite an experience over there. This is a, one of the streets in Beijing. We're still in Beijing, and we're walking down. It's a beautiful city, a very clean city, just a wonderful place to visit if you ever want to go. I, if you go to China, you've got to go to Beijing, but... There's a night market across the street, and you see the, the lights on the opposite side of the street. And these vendors were cooking fresh foods, and people were... It's like a fair. People were walking down the street buying these foods. And, and you're looking at my... I didn't know I was looking like that, but the, food, the kind of foods I just saw caused that expression. I couldn't believe what the people were eating. You see in the middle of this picture, there's some snake skin there. I mean, they, they just eat everything, and it's, it's just a fascinating... I don't even know what some of these... things. I think there's some snails in there and, and everything. you see the thing in the middle of the picture there? That's coagulated blood. I mean, they, they eat that stuff. So uh, there's some squid. and Now, here is, this is the last picture I want to show you about food. I'll get off food. but um, This is called Mongolian hot pot. And this, It's called Mongolian hot pot because you eat out of a hot pot. You see down at the base of that, there's a cylinder with charcoal in it, and that keeps this water boiling. And they bring you all kinds of raw foods out, and you take your chopsticks, and you, whatever food you want, you dump in the boiling water, and you just cook it, and you eat it. And, and you know, everybody's just eating out of the same pot. And uh, that just was not appealing to me at all. <laughs> not at I don't think I ate anything there that night. It was a, a wonderful experience, but I, I just couldn't eat out of the Mongolian hot pot. You just Think about everybody just throwing their same food in the same pot and you're eating out of it. But um, I wanted to show you something here. This is, this is one of the hotels we stayed in. There was this, this is in the city of Shanghai. This was a five-star hotel that had just opened, and they were begging tourists to stay, and so our... Uh, company that Steve went through found a deal there like fifty dollars a night or something for each person, and so we stayed in this five star hotel and it was a beautiful place. But now, look at the next shots. This is a shot of the city of Shanghai, a lot of wealth in shanghai and then this is a shot of the this is the the uh, building looking outside the front door of that five star hotel so you see a mixture of wealth and, and these kinds of housing in, in the city of Shanghai. By the way, um, one of the things I experienced when I got back to the States, almost immediately I experienced a, a sense of space again. And these, the cities were so crowded. You know, we have this, I don't know, you don't know about it, but there's this. we have this personal space thing here, and we have space. But when we got in those cities, it's just, you could walk out of your hotel, and if you're not careful, at, at 8.30 in the morning you get swept up in the crowds of people. Now, I don't understand how our bus driver drove through some of these cities without killing people on bicycles it was just amazing we the number of people on motorcycles and bicycles but he did it talk a minute about religion and christianity in china i I got this picture in here next because we went to we went from beijing to shanghai we spent four days in shanghai and had some great worship experience there i'm talking about in a minute and then we left there and went to I think the next city, we flew to the city of Wincho, which is called the Jerusalem of China. I'll talk about that in just a second. But one day we left that city and took a bus ride outside the city to this mountain, this area. And we climbed this mountain. And if you can see, I'm sweating now. And, uh, because we were, it was a long hike up this mountain. And there you can see how high up we are. And there up in those mountains was this Buddhist uh, a monastery. And outside, do you notice in this monastery up in the mountains? Can you see the uh, satellite dishes there on the wall? You see those? I thought that was interesting that they they were getting satellites in there. But anyway, there were these two nuns that walked out, and I asked them if I could take their picture, and they shook their heads no. So I honored their privacy and didn't take their pictures. But we did get to visit this place. And then here, not far from that, is a, a Buddhist temple. Uh, and and I, did, I thought I took a shot of uh, uh, Buddha inside, but I, I didn't include it in this. But there weren't many people in there worshiping. Uh, it, of course, you know, historically China um, is Buddhist, but I don't, I don't think it's very active, especially among the younger generations there. It's more or less a, a dead religion. This is a picture of a Catholic church in one of the cities. Uh, it was a very beautiful picture. I don't know how active this church is, but nonetheless, this Catholic church is uh, uh, officially recognized by the Chinese government, and, and uh, they can worship in the Catholic church. This was uh, one Sunday morning when we were in Shanghai. We worshiped at this the Shanghai Grace Church. Now let, me, let me just tell you, there are three... Basically, three kinds of churches in China that I experienced. One was called the Three-Self Church. The other one is the House Church that I've already mentioned. And then we worshipped in an international church, a church where expatriates, Westerners, whatever, can worship. So we experienced all those those three kinds of worship. Let me tell you about the Three-Self Church. The Grace Church of Shanghai is a Three-Self Church. It's a church that's registered with the Chinese government, and it's called Three-Self because it's I think I remember this. It's um, it's self-governing, self-supporting, and self-propagating. What that means is the Chinese government says, we'll allow you to worship in your Christian faith and worship in a public meeting place like a church building as long as you hold to these three things. We want you to be Uh, self-governing. They want these churches to be independently run. They don't want churches coming together in any kind of organized way. And they don't want Western Christian influence in their churches. So they're self-governing. They're self-supporting. They don't want Western money coming in and supporting these churches and they're growing. And they're self-propagating, which means the Chinese three self-churches are allowed to, um, to evangelize as long as they evangelize within the walls of their church. In other words... They can't go out on the streets and evangelize like we do. So if they, they've got to be self-propagating, that is, they can grow within the walls of their church. So those are the three self. And there are lots of three self churches in China. This is an evangelical three self church that we worshipped in that morning. That's why they're called three self. And I had a wonderful worship experience there that Sunday morning with those people. When we got there. We got separated because there wasn't very much room to sit there in the church. So I got separated. I went up in the balcony and worshiped for these people. This is a picture that I took at the close of the service. I didn't violate their worship uh, during the worship, but this is at the end of. They're singing the closing song, and I took a picture of the Chinese but uh, worshiping there. But it was interesting. I was standing there, and they have screens like we do in our worship center, and they're singing their songs. I recognized the tunes of the hymns, but of course I couldn't read Mandarin. And I'm standing there kind of humming along. couldn't remember the words of this hymn. And a, a dear Chinese man walked up and gave me a hymnal. And I thought, well, a lot of good this is going to do. You know. <laughs> but there was the English version of it. And I worshipped with these Chinese people. Um, this is uh, one of the pastors closing the service. After the service, I went across to their educational building. And these are the people in the white coats are Chinese doctors. These are medical doctors. And they have a ministry there at their church where their, their elderly, their seniors can go over to their clinic and get medical attention, checkups, and, and uh, medicines from their from their Christian doctors in their church. I thought, what a neat ministry that they have going on there. Of course, China doesn't have the kind of health care system, of course, that we do uh, in this country. After we worshiped in that church, we had the privilege of interviewing the senior pastor, the founding pastor, and the senior elder. The tall man, the one next to me, is the founding pastor of this Grace Church. The shorter guy, who spoke very good English, uh, is the senior elder in that church. They had a fascinating stories. This This church, when the Cultural Revolution started in 1958, this church building was confiscated by the Chinese government. And these pastors were shipped off to... Labor camps. They, just had, they shipped them out of the city to North China, and there they stayed until the end of the culture revolution. And then around 1978, 1980, when the culture revolution ended and more religious freedoms were given, this, this church that had been turned into a factory was given back to the people. This, this same pastor came back and reopened his church, and they began to worship again. So it was a fascinating story to hear their stories of persecution. And their love for the church. This is a picture of a house church that we worshipped in in the city of Wenzhou, which is called the uh, the Jerusalem of China. It's a fascinating story. Um, actually, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Let me save that part of the story for a few minutes later. But I want to tell you about this church. This is a um, this is the top floor of this house. This pastor had bought these. Three flats. There are three store three very long narrow rooms. And he he turns his house into a church during the week. And in a period of seven days, some three thousand people come to his house and worship. We're on the top floor where the pastor actually stands and preaches. You see the little PowerPoint screen there in the back? We sit there on hard benches and this this is a lady she wasn't the one that preached, but the the pastor preached that night. On a Wednesday night, we were there for an hour and 40 minutes. And those people just, they acted like that's, that's nothing. And we found out later that one of the signs of a good preacher in china is you can preach a long time <laughs> i said that wouldn't go over good well one of the here in america one of the signs of a good preacher is can you hold their attention for 25 minutes you know <laughs> but we sat for an hour and 45 minutes on hard pews and listened to this guy preaching mandarin i had an interpreter behind me trying to interpret as he preached but there were three floors of 150 people crammed into each of these floors and now I want to show you a little bit of the pastor teachers that we, we saw in China. This, is, this guy here, um, this is Samuel Lamb, who is the founding pastor of that church, the house church that we just worship in right there. He started this church. Now, listen to his story. I'm telling you guys, I, I was just so encouraged that night um, listening to his story. In 19, I think it was 58, when the Cultural Revolution started, Samuel Lamb was arrested and sent to prison. He spent the next 20 years in prison. Four months before he got out of prison, his wife died. But he, his mother was still alive in the city of Wenzhou. And, no, he's in Guangzhou, in the city of Guangzhou. His, um, his mother was still alive, and because he still had one family member left, they allowed him in 1978 or 80 to go back to the city of Guangzhou. And the first thing he did was open up his house church. And so he lives today under threat of persecution by the, the local public uh, security bureaus there. Three months before we got there, he was arrested again and harassed. What they want him to do is join and register his church. But many of these pastors of these house churches, they see that as a compromise because they they have stipulations they must follow government rules. The government doesn't like them to preach and teach certain things like the coming of christ that he's going to set up an earthly kingdom they see that as a threatening message to their authority so he refuses to register and he's constantly harassed but and there are hundreds of these house churches meeting throughout china but samuel lamb told me that night and he's his birthday is uh, is this month he turns gosh i forgot now he I, I, he, ther- he turns like 85 or something this month, and he's still a very active man. But he looked at me and he said, that night, he said, Pastor, he, he, he speaks English. He said, Pastor, persecution good for the church. And he was serious. And I know nothing of that kind of None of us do. But he has witnessed it all of his life. He's, the more they persecuted, the more the church grows in China. This is back on the Great Wall. This is Joshua. We um, met Joshua in Beijing, and we took him out to the Great Wall with us so that we could interview him in privacy without uh, him being seen with Westerners. And um, we, we heard his story. This guy's been arrested several times. He's pastors like 20 cell groups, 20 house churches in Beijing, and he's just going around and around ministering to these people. And he is a, he is a direct recipient of salt material and training a delightful brother who has given much for the gospel. This is James and Nina, a couple that we met who have... Listen to this. They have left their their home of Hong Kong and moved to Beijing to plant a church. And they had just gotten there. They had only been there about a month, just getting their feet on the ground. I, I fell in love with this couple. They were so delightful. Their, their spirit and attitude was just charming. And they... Uh, we... We took, we amongst us, we took up an offering. We just gathered up some money and gave to this couple. And I think we, almost $400 we gathered up. And I made the mistake of, uh, actually this is Fred's fault. He, he told me, don't take a lot of cash. You don't need a lot of cash. Just use your credit card, you know. So I didn't take a lot of cash. And I gave most of it to James and Nina. And so I was borrowing money the rest of the trip because I did need some cash. But we gave them three or $400 uh, before we left that city. And that's about like six months, three to six months of support for them. And they were just overwhelmed with what we did for them. But this is another couple who have moved to that city to do mission work and to plant a a church in that great city. Now, guys, um, this is... uh, Let me see. I've got to make sure I get these names right. Um, We support this guy. Um, Somebody help me. Jonathan Wu yes this is Jonathan Wu we picked up Jonathan not long ago and some of you have had some email correspondence with Jonathan Jonathan if i remember correctly is taiwanese i think and he has joined the salt staff and he is a fine brother who actually goes inland and does the teaching to the house pastors and we got to meet with i got to meet with Jonathan in shanghai and he allowed me to take his picture, so I can bring it back here to let you see one of the guys that we support. Now this is the trio. These guys, uh, this was in Shanghai. They had traveled. These are house pastors from the country that had traveled to the city of Shanghai, and they were meeting there with some Salt team members to do training. And this is Max, Leo, and Caleb. What a story! Max, of course, as you can imagine, he's the tall guy. Leo's in the middle. Caleb's on the on the, uh, on the other end. And these guys, they're meeting with these Western pastors, and one of the first things they say is, "We're so humble to be in your presence." And I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh, oh no, we we are we are so humble to be in your presence." Max, the tall guy, third generation Christian. His his uh, forefathers were won to Christ by missionaries from China Inland Mission. The China Inland Mission came to China in the mid-19th century at the end of the Opium Wars. One of the, one of the, in part of the treaty of the Opium Wars, the Brits said, you've got to open up China to Western missionaries. And so that was one of the advantages of that treaty. And China Inland Missions came in. And they land, one of the first cities they landed in was the city of Wenzhou. And uh, one pastor, uh, one of the first guys there was a guy by the name of George Scott. He was a crippled missionary. It took him years. He finally won his first convert. Now Wincho, the city of Wincho, is known as the Jerusalem of China. They estimate that fifteen percent of the people in that city are Christians. and um, max 's heritage goes back to to that city he 's third generation christian and Guys, I'm not even that. I I was born in America. My father was one to Christ in Michigan in the 1950s, led to Christ. I, they have such a wonderful Christian heritage. And these guys, um, they're just great warriors. And these are the men who are recipients now of the, the training from SALT. They were there in Shanghai to receive training from the SALT team members. That's the end of the slideshow. Let me, let me close, wrap things up by telling you this. Um, guys... When we were there, we were talking with some of the Chinese pastors about where the Chinese church is now as far as maturity and what they're setting their sights on. And amazingly, the Chinese now are sending out missionaries to foreign countries. And I was joking with one of the pastors there. I said, well, could you send some missionaries to America? We need some help. You know what he said? No, we're not interested in America. You know where they're they're going? They're going to the Muslim countries. I thought that's very fascinating. And he said he said, you know why? He said, because the Muslims don't like Americans, but they like the Chinese. And here's their vision. And picture this with me. If you can think of the world, and Christianity was birthed in, in Palestine, and from there it went to the Mediterranean world, to the Greek world, and then into Europe, spread across Europe and from Europe they came to America and America was evangelized and then Central and South America. And eventually we took the gospel to China and the Asian realm. You know what the Chinese see is now their responsibility to complete the circle. They're going to go west into the Muslim countries and evangelize. And then they're going to end up back in the Holy Land, Palestine. They see the, the circle of evangelism completed and that's, that's what they see as their opportunity A fascinating country, a country that is exploding with the gospel. I had heard about this, but guys, truly, the Spirit of God is working in Asia. The churches are growing phenomenally there. And I am so thankful that Grace has has been able to invest in that part of the kingdom. And I'll tell you this, I told this to our global missions committee when I got back and met with them. Uh, Our money that we're sending to salt is going to a good place. I knew Steve Torgerson before I left here. I knew him a little bit. But traveling with him and seeing that organization, how well it's run, I can tell you that's a man that has character and he has great vision. Uh, And he has set his sights on this mission and that's what he's committed to. And uh, we're sending our money to a good place. You can rest assured of that. Yeah, we're, we should be thankful that we have a part in investing in the kingdom over there. I wish we had time to answer. I had time to answer your questions, but we're already past time. So thank you for your attention tonight. I hope that it at least excites you in some way about what's going on over there in Asia and where we play a part in that. God, guys, you know we we think sometimes, well, the church seems to be kind of stagnant, and you know we're we're. The church is it's not doing anything, but the church, brothers and sisters, the church of God is alive and well. God is working. People are coming to know Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for the privilege to see and experience what I saw there. And I pray that more people from this church will um, take advantage of, of mission trips just to go see firsthand what you're doing around the world. We thank you, Father, for the power of the gospel, the, the power that can go into uh, pagan countries and worlds where men are blinded by Satan and change men's hearts. We thank you for the Chinese brothers and sisters who are now passionate about the gospel. I think of Max and Caleb and Leo and other Joshua and Nina. And all those pastors who serve so sacrificially there in that great country, I pray, Father, that you will protect them from the evil one. I pray, Father, that you will protect them from the harassment of the government officials and continue to, to um, bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow the church there. and We're committed to that. We thank you, Father, for this church and its love and passion for missions. And I pray that you'll continue to nurture a spirit and passion for foreign missions at Grace Evangelical Church. Father, we commit this week to you, we pray that in some small way that may seem insignificant to us, in some small way we pray that we may be a light of the gospel tomorrow as we go into the marketplace for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.